would invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. It's the end of chapter 3. If you'd like to follow along in the red Bibles and the chairs around you, the page should be printed for you in your bulletins. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19, down through the end of the chapter. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray that through the work of Your Spirit You would open our eyes And prepare our hearts that we would see what you want us to see, that we would learn what we need to learn, that you would teach us what is true from this portion of your word. We pray, Father, for all of us as we wrestle at times with a heart that would seek to condemn us, that you would show us why that's the case. And more importantly, Father, that you would show us the remedy that John speaks of in these verses. Help us to respond as he calls us to respond, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, it's one of the best-known plays in literature. If you're super, superstitious, you call it the Scottish play. Perhaps you know it better by its name, Macbeth. Shakespeare's 17th century tragedy that tells the story of human nature seeking power and the corruption of the human heart, and what happens when God's created order is disrupted. And perhaps one of the best parts of the play, or most well-known parts of the play, is when Lady Macbeth is walking in the middle of the night, racked with guilt for the murder of King Duncan that she conspired with her husband Macbeth to commit. She's consumed with guilt. Her heart is condemning her, and she's being driven to a state of madness. In that scene, her doctor and one of her servant women are watching her as Lady Macbeth talks to herself in the middle of the night, trying to rid her stain, her hands from the stain of blood. The doctor says, what is it she does now? Look how she rubs her hands. And the servant woman responds, it is an accustomed action with her to seem through thus washing her hands. I have known her to continue in this a quarter of an hour. And then we hear from Lady Macbeth as she looks at her hands and says, Yet, here's a spot, out, damned spot, out, I say, one, two, why then tis time to do it? Hell is murky. Fee, my lord, fee, a soldier and a feared. What need we fear who knows it when none can call our power to account? Yet, who would have thought the old man to have had so much blood in him? 
It's this graphic picture of Lady Macbeth who is filled with guilt. A heart that is condemning her. That would not let her rest easy. This invisible stain of blood on her hands, something that she can't wash away, something that she can't get rid of. It is a condemnation of her own heart that drove her into madness. Now, maybe those of us here today haven't experienced that level of angst and guilt over our sin and our wrongdoings. But maybe some of us have. Maybe especially when we give in to that besetting sin again and again and again, we feel that crushing and debilitating weight of the condemnation of our own hearts. But even if we haven't experienced it to that same degree that Lady Macbeth was expressing, we all have experienced some level of condemnation from our own hearts for the things that we do and the things that we think that we know that are not right. And the question is, what do we do about it? How do we get assurance? How do we get confidence That God's love and God's grace is greater than our sin. How do we we get assurance? How do we have our hearts reassured that He will not forsake us and He will not leave us? Well, John was writing to a group of Christian people in the city of Ephesus. People that he knew well. And as we've seen already in the letter, even in the passage today, John writes with a tenderness. He calls them his little children. He, he refers to them as beloved. He, he, he has this sense of compassion for these people that he's writing to. And although he writes with this genuine compassion and concern for these brothers and sisters in Christ, he says some hard things. We've seen some of those things already. Things like this. Whoever lives in unrepentant, habitual, and persistent sin is not abiding in Christ. In fact, he says, that one is of the devil, not born of God. He said that anyone who hates his brother is a murderer and does not have eternal life. He said anyone who has the world's goods and doesn't help a brother in need does not have God's love abiding in him. To live a genuine Christian life, he says, it's not enough to just love with your words and love with your talk. You must love with your actions and with your deeds. John knew these people that he was writing to. And he knew that he was writing these difficult things, challenging them, pushing back on their sin, causing them, calling on them to see their sin for what it was. And he knew that these hard things that he was saying to them would cause their hearts to condemn themselves. That they would feel the weight, the crushing weight of the condemnation of their own hearts. And so what does he do? He pauses here at the end of chapter 3 to encourage them. To remind them that if you're in Christ, there is indeed hope for a condemning heart. So what I want us to do today is to look at this short passage of John's letter here and to see what he tells us about the reality of a condemning heart about the remedy or the solution for a a condemning heart, and then the response that's appropriate for a heart that is no longer condemned. So first of all, 
The reality of a condemning heart. We've already talked about this, uh, just thinking about the context of what John is writing. And you can see it again here in verses 19 and 20. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. John knows. He knows they need reassuring. He knows that these people have hearts that are condemning them. And that word reassure here. That our hearts would be reassured. It means to be convinced, to be persuaded, to be made certain of, to set at rest, to be won over. And John knows that they need it because he knows the reality of the condemning heart. Sometimes our hearts condemn us wrongly. Our hearts are not infallible. We can feel and experience condemnation from within. Even when it's not right or just. But let's be honest, many times, perhaps most times, the condemnation that we get from our hearts is right. We know that we've done wrong. We've done wrong things. We've said wrong things. We've thought wrong things. We know that we've broken the laws of the Creator. We know that we've fallen short of a loving and faithful obedience to the perfect standard of our Father in Heaven. And we have that internal sense of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation that is rightly and justly ours. I know some of us are particularly sensitive to it. I also know that some of us do everything we can to ignore it and numb it away. But I want to suggest to you that it's actually a good thing to have a sense of the condemnation of your own heart. It's a good sign if you know rightly when your heart is condemning you. Because it's a means by which the Lord leads you to repentance. It's a means by which He calls you to embrace His grace and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although it's not particularly enjoyable at the time, we ought to be thankful for the reality of a heart that rightly condemns us when we need it. And I would just say this. To you, if you have gotten to a place in your life where your heart is not particularly sensitive to your sin, where you don't experience the the right and just condemnation of your heart, know that that's not a good place to be. It's actually a dangerous place to be. The best thing that you can do if if that's what characterizes your heart is to pray to the Lord and ask Him to soften your heart, to make it more sensitive to your sin. To pray for that internal sense of guilt and wrongdoing and condemnation so that you will be again pointed to the cross. But as we come back to what John is saying here in these verses, we see that he knew the reality of a condemning heart. But notice that he also tells them the remedy, the solution for those who have a condemning heart. We see it first in verse 20. Whenever your heart condemns us, Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. Now I want you to notice what He's doing here is subtle, but it is incredibly powerful. When our heart condemns us, what are we supposed to do? John says when your heart condemns you, you are to take your eyes off of yourself, off of your sin, off of your just condemnation and do what? Look to the Lord. Notice what John says specifically about the Lord that we are to look to. 
At the end of verse 20, he says, God knows everything. Now, he's not just giving us a theological truth. He's not just kind of tacking on a a true theological statement here at the end of this verse. He's actually saying something that's very important in the context. God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. There is nothing that is outside of his all-seeing knowledge. And that means that he knows our hearts better than we do. He knows our thoughts. He knows our words. He knows our actions. Every single one of them. He knows even our deepest motives. He knows the depth of the depravity of our hearts. He knows the right and just condemnation that we feel and deserve. And in fact... If we knew the depth of the depravity of our own hearts to the degree that God does, we would be utterly undone. But that's not all he knows. God knows everything. He knows not only the depth of the depravity of our hearts. He also knows that we are his precious children if we are in Christ Jesus. That we are his beloved And if we are Christians, if we are in Christ, that we have been redeemed by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that his blood was shed to pay for everything that condemns us. That's why John said, God is greater than our heart. Our hearts are powerful to bring condemnation down upon us, to bring a weight that feels crushing under the condemnation that we rightly deserve. But God is greater than our hearts, John says, greater than the weight of the condemnation that we feel. God is greater than our sin. Now, for some of you, that may have reminded you of that wonderful hymn by Julia Johnston. Much loved, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our guilt Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Sin and despair like the sea waves cold threatened the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge, the mighty cross. And then perhaps thinking about Macbeth herself, in the third verse she writes, Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. That's what John is pointing us to as he's reminding us that God is greater than our hearts. He is greater than a heart that condemns us. We have to remember that when John wrote these words in chapter 3, it was after he wrote the words in chapter, at the beginning of chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. When we experience the right condemnation of our hearts, the remedy is not to go deeper within ourselves. The solution is not to sit under the weight of the condemnation of our hearts indefinitely. It is not to continue being beaten down by guilt and condemnation to the point that we despair 
No, the remedy is given to us by John. It is to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to look to his life of perfect love and obedience to his Father. We are to look to his voluntary and horrific death on the cross as a payment in full for our sin. We are to look at his propitiation, his turning away the wrath of God from us forever. We are to look to his resurrection from the grave as proof of his conquering our sin and death forever. We are to look to the promises that he has made to never leave us, never forsake us, and to always love and forgive us. We are to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on our Savior and to believe and to trust the gospel of grace is true. That's the remedy for a condemning heart. And I love how the Westminster Confession of Faith earlier, the passages that we read earlier in the service, I love how they talk about the fact that this assurance of God's grace to us, although it's not something that is of the essence of faith and some Christians may struggle mightily to actually experience it, it is something that every Christian can experience, not through some special revelation that you have to have, but they say it's simply through the ordinary means that God gives us. What are those? It's the Word of God. It's communing with our Father in prayer. It's praying His Word back to Him. It is the fellowship of God's people. It is gathering around the Lord's Supper. These these ordinary things, tools that the Lord has given to us, that is the means by which He builds assurance into our hearts. It's the ways that He reassures a heart that is feeling condemnation. And brothers and sisters in Christ, when we fail, when we fail to make use of the remedy that's given to us, given to us by grace, to put our eyes on our Savior, when we fail to do that, when we feel and experience the just condemnation, when we experience the weight of guilt and we sit in that indefinitely, when we are driven to despair and dysfunction and allow it to drive us to doubts, then at that very moment, we are making something more important than the Lord. Not that it's wrong that we feel just condemnation. It is a a good thing for us to feel righteous condemnation from our hearts. But when we don't make use of the remedy that is given to us by the Lord of lifting our eyes off of ourselves and looking to him and to the gospel of the grace and love of our Savior, then at that moment, something else is more important to us than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the remedy that we have. God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Notice John goes on to describe some responses of a heart that's no longer condemned. We can see several things listed here in verses 21 through 24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. One of the responses of a heart who is no longer condemned is a sense of confident communion with the Lord. 
Do we understand the weight of what he says here just in this, these few words in verse 21? If our hearts do not condemn us because we're looking to our Savior, our hearts are not condemning us because we are looking to the Lord Jesus Christ and how he took his, our condemnation on himself. And so if our hearts are not condemning us, what does he say? We have confidence before him. Do we understand the weight of that? John is telling us that as hearts that are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be in front of the Lord God Almighty with confidence. Not a selfish arrogance on our part. Not a confidence because of anything that is in us, but a confidence because of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we have hope in. And notice he says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, again, encouraging us with this confidence. A confidence that we can be in communion with our Father and approach Him as our faithful and forgiving and loving and gracious Father. No longer do we have to think of ourselves before God as a student before a principal or as a thief before a police officer. We are a much beloved child before a good and faithful father. And so we have confidence in the fact that we indeed are God's beloved. I think that's what the Westminster Confession of Faith was getting to when they said that there's an infallible assurance. It's not infallible because of us. It's infallible because of what our faith is in. The Lord Jesus Christ. We can have this confidence. We can have this assurance of the Lord's forgiveness and grace and mercy and goodness and steadfast love and faithfulness to his promises to us because he is greater than our hearts. Another response that we see here is having an expectant life of prayer. You can see that in verses 22. He talks about the fact that, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. John says that we can come before the Lord with confidence. We can be in His presence without the fear of rejection. Not simply as Elder Massett was praying, not simply that we would pray for pity, but that we would know God's love over us. And because of that, we know that we can ask for whatever we want, whatever we need, whatever we desire. And John says that we should pray so expectantly. Now, just let me quickly mention here that I know some might take this verse and turn it to say something like, well, if I want to pray for a new car or a spouse or the healing of a disease or for a million dollars, I'll pray that and then God has to give it to me. That's what this verse says. I'll pray it, he'll, I'll ask, and he'll give it. But we have to take the entirety of John's letter into context, and we'll come to this later in the, in the new year, in the beginning part of 2022. But if you'll just turn to pay, uh, chapter 5, turn one page, look at chapter 5, and he gives us a little more context of what he, what he means when he says here in our passage that whatever we ask, we receive from him. If you look at chapter 5, verse 14, he gives a little qualification, a little context for that. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Well, again, we'll come back to this 
later as we get closer into chapter 5. But the point of what John is saying here is that because of the gospel, we can have confidence before the Lord and we should pray expectantly. As we pray according to the will of God, He will grant what we pray for. He will accomplish His purposes through our prayer. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, think about that. Do we really believe that God would so desire and choose and foreordain that He will accomplish His purposes through the prayers of His people? Because if we really believed that, how would it change our prayer? This should motivate us to pray more and to spend quality time with our Father in heaven praying expectantly. A third thing that we see as a response here that John mentions is faithful obedience. You can see it in verses 22 and 23. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. John says that we come before the Lord with confidence because we are His children. And in response, knowing the reality of our own condemning heart, knowing the reality of experiencing the freedom of condemnation through the gospel of grace, having confidence in the presence of our Father in heaven because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, We, as God's people, should be motivated and empowered to live lives of faithful obedience. John even goes so far at the end of verse 22 that, that he says that as we are keeping his commandments and as we are doing what pleases the Lord, our lives and our prayers will be more and more in line with the Lord's will. And notice the commandment that John has in mind here in verse 23. It's one commandment. But it has two parts to it. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Here's the first part of the commandment that we believe. Believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? To believe in the name of someone is to believe in who they are. So who is Jesus? He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Word of God. He is the Son of God. He is the long-promised Redeemer who crushed the head of Satan and defeated the power and penalty of sin for all of His people for all times. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. As we read in Matthew 1, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. And he told him that his wife Mary would bear a son. And he told him, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, the name, comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua, which means to deliver or to rescue. To believe in the name of Jesus is not only to believe in who he was, but also what he accomplished. Also, as Acts chapter 4 tells us, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. To believe in the name of Jesus is to believe in who He is and all that He accomplished in the gospel and all that He is doing at this very moment as our advocate at the right hand of the Father and all that He will do as He comes again to establish the new heavens and the new earth. 
This is the first part of the command. That we would believe in Jesus, that we would believe in the gospel of grace, and that we would keep on believing it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is something that we are called to do, commanded to do, every day. Every day, with intentionality, in moments of doubt, in moments of being tempted, in moments of discouragement, and when everything in life is going great, we are commanded to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who He is and what He has done. That's only part of the command that John references here. This is the commandment in verse 23 that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Love one another, he says, as he, that's Jesus, commanded us to do. John has already hit on this command a number of times in his letter. And he's going to come back to it again and again in the rest of the letter. Our love for the Lord is evidenced in our love for one another. And John says, I'm just telling you what Jesus himself commanded you. John chapter 13, John recorded Jesus' words. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Or Matthew chapter 22, Jesus speaking says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. In response to Jesus' love for you. In response to Jesus removing your condemnation forever. Love one another. To the degree that Jesus has loved you in the gospel. To that same degree, love one another. Even to the point of being willing to give your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And brothers and sisters in Christ, this commandment, it is greater than any desire that we have to be comfortable. It's greater than any desire we have to be wealthy, successful in our career. It's greater than any desire we have to not be inconvenienced in this life. This commandment is not qualified by how lovable the other person is. It's not qualified by whether you like the other person. Or whether you have lots in common with the other person. This commandment includes brothers and sisters in Christ who have differing opinions on important but secondary issues. This commandment is a selfless, sacrificial, self-denying, putting others first kind of love. So let me finish with a challenge for all of us. Would you commit yourself to intentionally seeking out a brother and sister in Christ that you don't know very well. Or perhaps that you do know well, but you don't think you have anything in common with. Or perhaps someone that you have differing opinions with. And find a way to love them. Maybe serve them in some way. Provide for a need that they have. Go out for coffee and get to know them better. Or resolve a tension between you. Not because you want to be a good person, but because you love Jesus and because He commands you to do it. We all live with the reality 
of a heart that condemns us rightly. But the good news that John shares with us today is that there is a remedy, there is a solution for a condemning heart. It is to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on our Savior, knowing that our God is greater than our heart and He knows everything. And then we ought to respond with a heart from a heart that is no longer condemned. We ought to have a sense of the, the communion that we have with the Lord and it ought to give us a confidence not in ourselves, but in His goodness and grace. It ought to move us to be people of prayer expectantly and that we would lovingly and faithfully obey the command to believe in the Lord Jesus and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for those of us here today who have hearts that are particularly sensitive to the just condemnation that we have because of our sin. And I pray, Father, that in moments when they're prone to think more and more about themselves, that you would cause them to think more and more about you. Take their eyes and lift it from themselves and put them upon the cross of our Savior. Remind them that you indeed are greater than their hearts that condemn them. And Father, I pray for those of us whose hearts are not as sensitive. Those of us that find it easy to sin and think nothing of it. And Father, I would be bold to pray that you would bring us a greater sense of the condemnation that we deserve. Bring us to a sense of the seriousness of our sin. But Father, help us not to stay there. Help us too to have our eyes lifted even as we feel the weight of our heart's condemnation. To see the provision that has been made through the work of our Savior. Would you do this, Father, so that we might truly love you, believe in you, and love one another. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.